0: It's my pleasure and honor to introduce three West members as our platform speakers this morning. Each of them is going to be sharing a little bit of their life story with us. Uh, we'll be hearing from Sandra Bishop, David Phillips, and Shirley Storms. Sandra has been a member here for six years. Uh, she and her husband Tom are parents of four daughters, and Sandra runs a business working with children on the autism spectrum. David's only been a member here for 20 years. I say only because he's worked at GEICO for 45 years. (laughs) And I learned from him this morning that his great-grandfather was a friend of Felix Adler, was at the first meeting of the New York Society for Ethical Culture, and helped provide the funding for the free kindergarten. So he has quite the pedigree here at West. And, excuse me, Shirley Storms has been a member for 10 years. Uh, she's retired, uh, but still devoted to her art. She was the first of our Artists of the Year a few years ago. Her collages decorated our walls. And she's the mother of Karen Storms, who sings in the chorus, for those of you who haven't made that connection yet. Looking forward to hearing your stories. Thank you.
1: So, I was a little bit nervous yesterday, and so I rehearsed my speech with my oldest daughter. And at the end, she looked at me wide eyed and she said, Mama, you're an author. <laughs> so, I'm gonna channel that today as I share my story with you. Once upon a time, there was a woman named Sandra Elizabeth. Now, Sandra was awesome, she excelled in school, she was well liked, if not classically popular. She was kind, and she was active. But she was not an athlete. In high school, she played sports, but only on the no-cut teams, and often very poorly. She enjoyed long walks and competed in the long-distance events that no one else wanted to do. She was always last, but she always finished. But she knew she wasn't an athlete. After high school, Sandra stopped participating in organized sports but continued to be active. She went to college. She got married to an awesome man. She traveled all over the world. She went to Ghana and Rwanda, Vietnam, Egypt, and even backpacked from Tijuana, Mexico, to Panama City, Panama. She eventually went on to become an awesome mom, and she started an awesome business. And when her daughter was a toddler, she began to run. But she wasn't an athlete, and soon her knees started to hurt, and then her neck and eventually her wrists and even her fingers, and she didn't know what was wrong in her awesome business, she had an awesome client, and this client was diagnosed with Lyme disease. Sandra went to a lecture to learn more about the disease and realized her symptoms matched. She went to the doctor, and it was confirmed she had Lyme disease, which was definitely not awesome. She tried to stay active. She went to a yoga class for people with arthritis, but was so tired after that one class that she slept for 10 hours straight right after. She tried a water aerobics class at the retirement home, but she couldn't complete it because of the pain. She was absolutely not an athlete. Over the next two years, Sandra got sicker and sicker, She couldn't brush her own hair, she used a wheelchair, she got a handicap placard. She slept all day. She got an IV that her awesome husband had to give her antibiotics through twice a day for six months. Her husband eventually quit his job so he could help with their daughter so she could still run her business. This was not awesome at all. After three years she started to get better and stronger. Eventually, Sandra felt well enough to try to get active again, so she hired a personal trainer. Her first goal was to carry her laundry basket down the stairs. She worked out three times a week with this trainer, who, by the way, was awesome. This trainer was a new mom and was new to the area, and was so awesome that Sandra suggested that she start a Mommy and Me exercise class. She did. And it was very awesome. After a few months, Sandra was strong enough to carry a laundry basket. But she realized doing laundry was not awesome (laughs) and decided not to use that skill. Eventually, Sandra was strong enough to go to the Mommy and Me exercise class. She began the master circuit training and lifting weights. She could even do some push-ups. But she knew she wasn't an athlete. Ten months after starting her training, she won an auction item. Sondra run won a running buddy named Brian. Neither she nor Brian realized what they were getting into after six months for six months, Brian went, ran with Sondra once a week, the first time they were out for only fifteen minutes. Sondra walked for two minutes and ran for one. Several months passed as she continued to run with Brian, and to her surprise, Sondra ran not one. Not two, but three 5K races. During this time, her husband and now four daughters started training capoeira. Capoeira was awesome. Capoeira was created by West Africans who were brought to Brazil as slaves. They disguised their martial arts training as dance to preserve their culture and to allow them to train without the slave owners knowing. It is beautiful and musical and hard and athletic. It symbolizes resistance and perseverance. There are no weight classes, and men and women trained together as equals. And with it, Sandra's girls started to learn to do amazing things with their bodies. Sandra was used to being awesome and did not want to be not awesome. She thought that trying Capoeira would show everyone and herself that she was not awesome at all. But she decided that her daughters needed to see that they could be awesome, even if they were flawed. She wanted them to know that they could be flawsome. (laughs) So Sandra started Capoeira. After the first three classes, she hid in the bathroom and cried, because she was so embarrassed at how terrible she was. She was an athlete, and everyone could see it. But it turned out no one cared, or even noticed. At a Capoeira party two months into training, an advanced cord gave her double high fives to welcome her. She shyly told him that she wanted to learn a handstand someday. He shouted, do it by the Batisado. You've got this. Now, a Batisado is a huge celebration and ceremony where people get promoted in their cord level, kind of like moving up in a belt in karate. It would be her first and her initiation into the Capoeira community. So Sandra took a deep breath and in the middle of the party tried to do a handstand and literally fell on her face. (laughs) Sandra knew that the batizado was only three months away and there was no way she'd be able to do a handstand by then because Sandra was not an athlete. A few days later before her first 10k race She was running with her running buddy, Brian, and chatted about her handstand goal. She noted, without despair and with acceptance, I'll never be an athlete. He stopped her running and made her look him in the eye. He said sternly, you can run six miles and you train Capoeira. You are an athlete. She smiled and continued the run. Maybe he was right, she thought. So Sandra practiced handstands every day for the next three months, and during that time, she ran three 10K races. The day before her first batizado, where she would get her very first cord, Sandra held a handstand for one second. (laughs) Sandra realized that she was an athlete and had always been one, and she and her family lived strong and awesome and flossomely happily ever after <laughs>
2: Fellow West members, and all of you who are visiting today, I'd like to tell you a story about my life and how things turned out differently than I expected. I was a slow learner in school. I didn't learn as fast as other kids. That was very isolating, so I watched a lot of television. I saw a lot of the old game shows, like Match Game with Gene Rayburn, To Tell the Truth with Bud Collier, and Password with Alan Lund. And I saw that the game shows attracted a lot of people, so I said, I want to do that. After I graduated from Walt Whitman High School, I started working at Geico, and then because I wanted to do TV, I went to WETA Television and applied for a job in the mailroom. I almost got it, but the mailroom came. The mailroom guy came back the next day. I was supposed to start. So they decided not to hire me. So then I found out there was a media department downstairs where I already worked in the basement of GEICO. There was a supervisor there named Led Magsman, and he wanted to work with me and vice versa. But this was in 1976 and Geico was about to go under. A lot of my friends left, including Len. So all my desire and willingness to work in the media left with them. But then there was a friend of mine named Mary Hall who told me about Toastmasters. She invited me to come to a Toastmaster meeting because she knew me, and she thought I might like it. If you're attending for the first time, you'll be greeted by the president and vice president of membership. And you'll be given a guest packet very similar to Wes'. Then you're invited to sit down and observe the meeting. Most people are invited to speak, but they don't have to. But I got up. I don't even remember what I said, but I felt good about getting up. And this was the right thing to do. I like talking in front of people. A few months Later, the local Toastmasters meeting elected me as Sergeant-at-Arms. Now it's called the Manager of Logistics. And I've held that position for 20 years. I've also held other positions like President of of the Club. As Manager of Logistics, one of the things you do is to start the club meeting by saying something like, good afternoon, welcome to our club. Now, here's the president. Every meeting has an agenda. And this is a pretty clear, detailed meeting. People give speeches, and the speeches have evaluators. I have given speeches and gotten my distinguished Toastmaster Award about five years ago, which is the highest award you can get. That's for giving a certain number of speeches. One of the speeches I remember giving was about the computer room that I made possible to be built in El Salvador using computers donated by GEICO. They named the computer room after me the David Phillips computer room. That was a proud moment. Don Montagna, the former senior leader here, called me a hero when I got those computers and I enjoyed telling the story to everyone about that Toastmasters in my speech. And then I go to to the Toastmaster Conferences. We just had one two weeks ago. That was the humor, speech, and table topics contest. Table topics is a question that doesn't have a yes or no answer. A good example of a table topics question would be, if you could build your own Rushmore, Mount Rushmore, Who would be on it? That was a really good one. I got to welcome people at the conferences and not just at my local meeting. And I also set up props for whoever wants props in their speeches. I also got to meet people through Toastmasters, which is very easy to meet people because you have something already in common. And that's comforting. It's people who you know for many years and also new people joining. I realized that the desire to be a game show host, I could do the same thing as manager of logistics. It fills a void in a way I didn't expect. And talking to you, and telling my story fills this void too. What's friends, thank you for listening to my story and I wish any void you might have can have a happy ending just like mine.
3: I would say, unlike David, I really am more used to talking to sixth graders than adults, but I think I could do it. Um, my family came to Washington, D.C. in 1978 or 79 for just one year. My husband had a one-year uh, fellowship. But life happened, and that year has become close to 40 now. My husband's new job was exciting, and I love the chance to live in a culturally rich place like Washington, D.C., I was going to be a stay-at-home mom because my husband had previously been a college professor but now he was going to have a nine-to-five job, you know, which was a different schedule than the way we had lived before. We had been living in a very sweet but very small town, so I was thrilled with the chance to explore Washington, D.C., a place I had growing up in California never dreamed I would get to see. I made friends. I became a weaver and added that to my list of fiber-related skills. And we found wonderful ways for our young daughter, Karen, to get involved in musical and theater arts that she already loved. But eventually, about five years later, we decided Karen was old enough and I would go back to work. My early career had been in teaching little kids, kindergarten, head start, ungraded primary, first and second grades. But I thought I'd prefer to work with older kids now that my child was in junior high school. I took some classes and got my Maryland credential and I was ready to start applying for jobs. Unfortunately, Montgomery County Public Schools was laying off teachers at the time, so my plan went nowhere. I shed a few tears, and then I got a different job working for a nonprofit lobbying agency related to the Conference of Mayors. It was fun, and it was nice to have a job with a desk and a telephone, and you could go to the bathroom anytime you wanted to, (laughs) and sometimes you got taken out to lunch, And there were even days when things were slow that you could go Christmas shopping while you were at work. It was kind of nice. But after a while, MCPS started hiring again, and so I looked into it, not as sure this time that I really wanted to teach, but not totally sure that I didn't either. The school district took my application and explained that first teachers who were um, already hired had to be placed. Okay. Then involuntary transfers had to be placed. That sounds so awful, doesn't it? Involuntary transfer, okay, okay. Then in mid-August, the district went to Puerto Rico and hired 25 new teachers and they had to be placed. What? (laughs) Finally, I could see this wasn't going to happen. I was angry at first, but then I accepted the fact. No tears, maybe I was almost certain I didn't even want it anymore. And I did like what I was doing very much. I'd learned new skills and done well in my new job, and I liked the work, and I liked the people. So a few years went by, and I thought I'd pretty much forgotten the whole thing when I got a call in early December inviting me to interview to replace a teacher who'd been in and out of her classroom for a year because she was taking care of a very sick brother, and now she was going on leave for the rest of the year no longer expecting anything or even wanting anything. Still, I decided to go to the interview just out of curiosity, you know, life experience. This was for a sixth grade class which I had never taught in a county where curriculum and expectations were epic. I was interviewed by a group of teachers and the principal sitting at a round table where they asked me some fairly reasonable questions about my experience and interests. I wasn't nervous because I didn't care but I didn't know how to present myself well, even though I was still harboring a little bit more anger than maybe I had realized. Now, fortunately for me, or maybe the people around me, I've always managed not to say my dangerous thoughts out loud. <laughs> but this time, that skill failed me. The last question really pissed me off, and my filters frayed. Leaning forward with an earnest look, the principal asked, What makes you think you are qualified to be a Montgomery County teacher? I took a breath, looked around the table, and said, well I figure if you can do it, I can do it. (laughs) Really, I've never said anything like that in my life. I don't know where that came from. After a surprising round of laughter, they offered me the job. (laughs) And even more amazingly, I took it. What had I done? I decided early on I would give the job two years. And if I didn't like it, there were other things in life. I had to start in January, which was only two weeks away. Oh my, barely enough time to give notice to my current employer. Now what I didn't know was that the class had already driven away five or six substitutes. I've often said they killed them, but I didn't want to say that because I thought that they didn't really kill them. I've been a substitute, I know what it feels like. And the class was out of control, and it was in a portable classroom with no windows. Well, there may have been windows, but I can't remember them. That felt like teaching in a file cabinet. What's worse, it was a self-contained sixth grade classroom, which meant I had to teach all subjects except PE and art. I cried on the way to work. I cried at night trying to figure out how to grasp the 10 foot high stack of curriculum guides that I had. I lost weight without trying, never happens. I learned I wasn't teaching kindergarten anymore one day during indoor recess when I was trying to catch up on grading papers instead of supervising the kids. I heard a roar from the back of the classroom and when I investigated I discovered they were playing strip poker. (laughs) Wow, (laughs) still I tried every day to teach something to those kids who had already had a miserable sixth grade year. Two boys in particular were very difficult. One was a very angry kid, angry with good reason. His parents had let him down again and again and again, and he was being raised by grandparents who didn't really want the job. The other just seemed unmotivated and uncertain. Both were smart and smart-mouthed and difficult. I've always had a special place in my heart for kids like that, and I cared about them, And I kept trying. One day I asked the angry one, What do you want to be when you grow up? Subtext, you should be doing better in school. His answer, I've been thinking of a busboy. Okay, I wasn't gonna entice him with platitudes. I asked the unmotivated one why he was failing when he was so smart. He explained his failing reading grade to me by saying, I'm bored. Okay, I said, I'll put you in the top reading group. That's where you belong anyway. His bad habits continued, and he did nothing in that group either. Somehow we got through the year, and it was a good thing I had promised myself to stay two years because I longed to escape every day. I never imagined that something would happen a long time in the future to cast a different light on those that six months of teaching. I taught one more year in that situation, and then the county moved to the middle school configuration, where I taught reading all day to kids who already knew how to read. Easy, right? No. (laughs) I finished out my 20-year MCPS career teaching African folk tales, Greek myths, novels, newspapers, and many other reading genres to totaling over 2,000 sixth graders, and I loved it. It was never easy, but it was just right for me. I continued to love those kids who just couldn't fit in or do their homework or find it even if they had done it, but still they could make me laugh, and somehow they managed to learn. So one day, 12 years after that miserable year of teaching inside the metal box, I was sitting at my computer when an email came in from that unmotivated and uncertain young man who I had unsuccessfully put in the top reading group that first semester. He was about to get his master's degree in college administration and he wanted to tell me that I was the first person, besides his family who didn't count, whoever told him he was smart. He had always interpreted his poor behavior and lack of success as being dumb. When I put him in the group with the smart kids he still didn't work. That would have been nice, but, but he realized he was just as smart as they were and in the coming years he'd become an excellent student. He wanted to thank me for helping to change his course. It was hard to finish the email through my tears. I am now Facebook friends with both of those young men from that first year. They remained friends with each other, and it turns out they had both remembered me and spoken about me as someone special who tried very hard to teach them and who cared for them the way they were. That's quite amazing since I only worked with them for six months. They've each grown into handsome, smart, successful young men I could be proud to know. The angry one is doing very well, works in digital marketing, whatever that is, has an edgy style, loves to go fishing, and recently got married. The one who wrote me the email is a dedicated assistant dean of students at a college in Pennsylvania and is also married. He recently forwarded something I posted on Facebook and referred to me as his beloved teacher. Aww. (laughs) (laughs) Teachers don't very often get feedback like this. We just move on to the next group and the next year and start again, full of ideas, hoping we can make a difference in someone's life. The students race into summer and start anew with other teachers and other challenges and seldom look back. I'm very glad I stuck out those first two years and went on to know and teach so many kids. From time to time, usually at a shopping mall, a large young man or a smiling young woman will approach me with arms wide open and say, You taught me about Greek myths. Knowing that some remember that maybe once in a while I make a difference makes me glad I made teaching my career.